0: my name is david mccullough and you're listening to the to the point podcast
1: Welcome to the To The Point podcast with me, Kean McNicholas, brought to you by our official sponsors at Summer Sportswear, where you can now use code kean 10 to get 10% off all of their products, and you can check them out on social media for more on that. Okay, now on to today's episode, for the first episode of season two, I kick it off with a big one, and I sit down for a chat with one of the biggest names in Irish media. He's presented programmes like Prime Time, Presidential and Political Debates, and now he co hosts RT61 News. It is, of course, Mr. David McCullough. Uh, he's an, he had an interesting career, and it was a real pleasure to sit down with him and interview him. So, without further ado, here is my interview to kick off season two of the podcast with Mr. David McCullough. So we're going to dive straight in, David. And I guess I'm going to ask you my first question. It's going to be, how would you describe what it is you do?
0: Oh, uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, what I, Well, what I do is I uh, co-present the six One News. So every night, it's a minute past six, myself and Katrina Perry stand up in front of the cameras and try and bring the news into your living room uh, or whatever device you're, uh, wherever you're watching it on whatever device you're watching it. So... I guess uh, our job is to try and present the, ru- the news in a way that's digestible and uh, approachable and authoritative as, as much as possible uh, and to ask questions of the people we interview that the viewer at home wants to ask. So we are the, I suppose, the faces of an operation that um, covers uh, journalists, correspondents, uh, covering different specialities, covering different regions, covering different countries. Uh, reporters doing stories so we're we're kind of the uh the ringmasters, uh, if you like on air but obviously the real ringmasters are the program editors who decide what order the stories go in and what stories are, are in the bulletin and uh, all the rest of it so um television uh is much more of a cooperative enterprise than any other form of journalism i think so what you see on the screen is the result of hours of work behind the scenes and, and lots of people getting busy throughout the day and uh, we get to say good evening and welcome to the
1: 6-1. Yeah, and you're well uh, over a year into the role. I mean, how have you found it, I guess? Has it been a bit of a surprise? Has it been everything you'd hoped it would be? How's it been?
0: Well, it's, it's, a, it's a bit different to um, to Primetime, which was the previous job I was doing, which is on twice a week, obviously, and... and um, is on a bit later um so the six one has a much bigger audience so i've noticed a bit of um you know people just clocking in the street uh, more even more than they would have done with um mm. with prime time um the difference with six one is that it's um it's, it's a beast, like it's an hour of, of, of moving news. You never know when you go in in the morning what you're going to be doing. Sometimes you don't know at six o'clock as the Angeles is going, what you're going to be doing during the course of the program, because things develop, things move very fast paced. Um, you have to be kind of on top of everything because you never know what's going to get thrown at you. So from that point of view, it can be quite an exhilarating roller coaster ride. Um, Something new every day, although I suppose the last year and a half has been, has, has been one story has dominated, obviously. But there are there's different angles, different nuances. You never know what's going to happen during the course of the hour. Um sometimes, you know, the the, the angels could be going and the top story isn't in, so there's that bit of tension about mm-hmm. what exactly is gonna happen when the camera when the red light goes on. So yeah, it's it's been um it's been interesting, as I say, a bit of a roller coaster.
1: Yeah, and that kinda of leads on to my next question. I mean, what is a day in the life like uh, presenting the 6-1 news? What time do you get in? What time do you get out?
0: Yeah, well, it was a bit different at the moment because we're still operating under COVID restrictions. So people who aren't sort of needed in the office at a particular point in time are, are kind of discouraged from going in. So we're kind of discouraged from being in until after, being in the op, physically in the office until after lunchtime. So the morning starts for me listening to Morning Ireland um, and then reading the the day's papers. I normally read four or five papers. Uh, each morning, um, and then at 10 o'clock we have our first news conference, so um, the news desk editor will go through what the stories are of the day, what's breaking, the foreign editor will do the same, um, the editor of online will, will give us a, a look at what's uh, what was popular the previous day, what's moving so far today, and then the the you know, different areas. TG Carr will tell us what they're up to. The news of one will tell us what they're planning for radio at lunchtime uh, news today will say what they're doing. Sports will tell us what's happening there. And then the, the editor of the one o'clock TV news will um, have to go through the high wire act of announcing what they're going to have in their bulletin, which is quite an achievement at 10 o'clock in the morning to know what you're going to be talking about at one o'clock mm. in the afternoon. And but I don't think anybody's ever held to actually stick into what they say at, at 10 o'clock, but it gives you an idea what the big stories are going to be during the day. So then we get into the question of who we should look for, for the main interview on the six one. So we normally do an interview just after the second part starts and um, be sort of four or five, six minutes, sometimes longer if it's uh, somebody really central to a story. So we start kicking around ideas about who we should be looking for and then get on the, hit the phones and get on the hunt for them. Uh, So then I normally arrive into the office around lunchtime uh, and it's a question of uh, talking with, program editors, talking with Katrina, talking with different people about what stories are going to be, how we should introduce them, uh, if we're going to do an interview with one of our reporters or correspondents, you know, what what the shape of the interview is, what we want to get out of it, and then a lot of concentration on that main interview, um, you know, what what we want to get out of them, what the viewer at home would like to, to hear them, that person being asked, and then around... 20 to five I go and get my suit on. I'm obviously not allowed to take the suit off the premises because it's RT's property and uh, they don't—they—they they have a suspicion that I might mess it up if I took it away with me and they would be right. Um, and then uh, get a the bit of makeup on and then just the final air. then is a bit of a rush trying to go through all the lead-ins to make sure you could you can pronounce everything, make sure it's uh, written in a style that you're comfortable with. Um, and uh, then about twenty to six, we go in and start rehearsing the opening. And then one minute past six, red light goes on, and off you go.
1: And have you found it? Is it tougher than presenting prime time?
0: I don't, I don't know that it, that one is tougher than the other. They're they're different kind of beasts. I mean, prime time, in terms of the interviewing, um you could you could really get um, get get a bit of space and time to get dug into somebody and really get 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 to the get to the, the nub of the story or that that's the theory at least and um, with the six one you obviously have to be a lot more focused you don't have much time and uh you know if your if your interview runs over it means they might have to drop a package so something your colleagues has been, have been working on all day gets ditched um possibly for good reasons sometimes maybe not for good reason so you have to try and keep to the keep to the time so it's, it's really a question of, of of really getting dug in as as quickly as possible and to try and avoid the thing that some people do when when they're, they're being interviewed and um, they're asked a question and they say, well, I'm glad you asked me that, Kim," and they then talk about something completely different or they um, sort of rehearse the stuff that we already know. It's sometimes called admiring the problem. So you might have a, a, a thing about housing policies, whatever, and they'll insist on reeling off a big, long list of statistics about how many houses have been built, how many houses are needed, all the rest of it, which I might have just said in, in, in my introduction. So that can be... Uh, just eats up the time, which they well know and I well know. So the the dance is trying to uh, avoid that. So anyway, that that's just a, a long winded way for which I apologise. Of saying that uh, you have to be a lot more focused in in your interviews on the six one, um, and you also have a much broader range of topics that you're dealing with in 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 a program. There's a lot more stories, so you have to kind of have an idea of of what those stories are about, so you can uh, make sure that the the intro is is right and all that sort of stuff now the, the reporter or correspondent will generally write the introduction but sometimes you might have to change it because there's uh, it's following on from a different story or there's another story in the bulletin that that impacts on it so it, ma- it makes for for you know you have to uh, tailor it to suit so that's uh, so it's 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 different but uh, as as the fellow says it changes as good as the rest
1: well wow. um i'm going to take you back to your early career so i mean why journalism what was the attraction there
0: um, I was always kind of interested in it, and um, there was always newspapers in the house, and there, and there would have been, you know, the news w- would have been on in, in the evening, and uh, I first got interested in politics when I was sort of 12, 13, 14, that sort of age, and uh, it was a time of great political drama. We had uh, Charlie Hawhey versus garfield's Fitzgerald, sort of titanic battle, um, political battles, and... Uh, it was a tough time economically, and as I got a little bit older, like a lot of my friends would have been talking about emigration all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot going on that that you know attracted my interest, um, and I, I always liked writing. And uh, a couple of teachers early on sort of said, "Oh, you, you know, you've you a nice style. You should uh, you should maybe think about journalism as a career." And um, it just it sort of the more I thought about it, the more I attracted was because I was interested in the news and I was inter- interested in writing. So it seemed like a, a good fit. Um, so that was where the initial interest going from.
1: And was specifically you had your eye on, let's say, a newspaper job rather than a broadcasting job?
0: Yeah, I think my, I think at the time I wanted to uh, have Mark Brannock's job. Mark at the time was the political reporter of the Irish Times. And um, I, th- I think, his, I think of, he was a friend of a friend of a friend type of thing. But uh, mm. I didn't know myself at, the, at that stage, but I, I thought, oh, that would be a great job, wouldn't it, writing about uh, politics and hanging around in then so House. And I got a break uh, early on in my career. I was working for the Evening Press. And um, unfortunately, the uh, the political reporter of the Evening Press, a lovely man called John Wallace, was quite ill at the time. He had heart problems, which would eventually prove, prove fatal. But he, he wasn't around. He was on sick leave, obviously. But uh, I was quite new into the Evening Press. But they knew I was interested in politics. So they asked me to go down on a reasonably regular basis to Lancer house. So I was down there uh, a lot. So that was kind of... My my dream job, really, and um, it was an exciting time. Uh, I was there the day Charlie Hoy resigned. I was there the day Albert Reynolds was was elected leader. So, you know, quite quite interesting and, and uh, tumultuous uh, events. So it was an interesting time to be there with a rings ring ringside seat, you know.
1: Yeah, and how did you find your time kind of with the Irish Press? Is that's where you kind of cut your teeth into journalism?
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, and
1: and again, I was
0: I was I was very lucky. My father. Fixed Manuel De Valera's glasses was how it got into us, really. Um, really? Not the real aim, not the real name De Valera, his uh, <laughs> grandson, who was who um, was running the he was running the Irish press at the time, and um, he was sitting beside him on a flight to London, and uh, a screw had come out of a man's glasses. So my father had a screwdriver in his pocket because he, he was an engineer. You wouldn't obviously get on an airplane with a screwdriver nowadays, but anyway, he was able to fix the glasses, and they got talking, and he said, "Oh, my son's in in UCD, and he's interested in journalism," and. Uh, Dr. De Valera very kindly said, oh, we'll send him, get him to write into us and we'll see if we have anything going. So I wrote in and heard nothing, obviously, but then they were, um, they were hiring journalists. Uh, I'd, I'd started in the journalism course, and uh, after graduating, I, I went to College of Commerce in North Mines to do journal, the journalism course, the two-year journalism course, that's now part of TUD. But um, I was only a couple of months into that, and the press were hiring, so I, they sent me out an application form, I applied. I went and did the interview and then i got a rejection letter uh which didn't really surprise me but they were hiring six people and obviously at least one if not more of the original six people they offered the jobs to turn them down which is lucky for me because eventually they got far enough down the list that um i got offered the job so happy days uh to my surprise i was offered a job on a national newspaper i just turned 22 so it it was a huge break and I have to say, looking back on it, if I was them, I would not have given me a job. And uh, I think the fact that they did give me a job was an indication of uh, the management, <laughs> uh, an indictment of the management of the Irish press, which uh, was later to, to uh, prove justified because the place went, went bang um, after a couple of years. But the yeah. Irish press at the time, and I was mainly working on the Evening Press, fantastic place to work, fantastic place. To learn journalism, you really filled up your contacts book really quickly because you were just covering a whole range of different stories. Um, When I started December 1989, they were still using manual typewriters, if you can believe it. So you're clacking away on these manual typewriters. And as you finished each paragraph, it would get ripped off the top of the... uh, If It was a breaking story. uh, As each paragraph was written, it would get ripped off by a copy boy, run down to to get set and everything. So it it was... sort of old-school um journalism which was quite exciting and and the um the printing press was on the premises so every day as uh, a print run came you'd, you'd feel the building begin to shake as, as the the um the, the presses started rolling so there's an element of, of i suppose glamor about it and, and uh, romance even uh, about it so that was I'm, I'm really glad to have been there for that but the evening press um at the time was locked in a rivalry with the Evening Herald. And I think uh, competition in journalism is great because uh, they were two really, really good newspapers. And I, I don't think uh, a single newspaper without that competition um, probably rises to the same levels. And, and you were always, whatever story you're on, you were watching out for who was there from the Herald, who were they talking to, what had they got that you hadn't got. So um, it was great. It was great fun. And uh, um, as I say, it, it, a great way to learn journalism because i really didn't have much of a clue when i was offered the job
1: yeah and where did you go after the irish press
0: well one of the great uh, strokes of luck that i uh, had in the evening press was that i met my wife and we got married uh, Marie. and um, there was two of us and a mortgage depending on uh, the burkey operation staying afloat which didn't look like a good bet so there was um Jobs on offer. Uh, the, the RTE were hiring, so we both applied. Um, and I, I don't think I would have applied if it hadn't been for the, uh, the whole fact that we were completely dependent on on the Irish Press uh, staying afloat. So we both applied to RTE, and and luckily we both got offered jobs. So I uh, got into started an in RTE in do, 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 September October I think of nineteen ninety three. Mm. So that's uh, a good year and a half before the press closed. So that, that was good to get out ahead of the game um and that was uh, again a a, a learning experience because i didn't know much about how i didn't know anything about how to put together a television report uh started off on the foreign desk television foreign desk so um you're given a story it could be bosnia one day south africa the next day whatever and you you put together a, a report from the um the stuff that's been fed in from the uh from the agencies afp and Reuters, and all that sort of stuff uh pictures come in uh reports on, on the wires come in about what's going on and you, you put the two of them together. So that was that was a, a good way of learning how to put together a TV package. Um, but as I say, I was sitting at my desk in, in RTE and Montrose was doing all this. But a friend, friend of my dad said said to him one day, oh, David's getting some great trips uh, with this uh, with this RTE crowd. <laughs> I was actually the different places, which is nice. There was um, a guy retired. Uh, well, early on in my days on, on on in RTE and he retired from the foreign desk. He said, now that I'm leaving the foreign desk I'm hoping to travel. I'm <laughs> not uh, be doing any of that uh, as it happens. So that was great and then I was on the the home desk TV home desk actually going out and doing reports for a while and then I was on the News of One uh, with the great Sean O'Rourke which was a, a brilliant experience as well and actually the editor was off on of maternity leave for a while so I got to edit the program for uh, about six or eight months which is a great experience as well mm-hmm. and then i was on this week on sundays with with jerry barry um uh, a, a a truly great journalist uh, mm-hmm. and, and a really good guy uh, since died unfortunately um so that was great <coughs> presenting um every every weekend or every second weekend and then i, I got um got a job as a car in leinster house for 12 years which was uh kind of where i'd, I'd always wanted to be um and it was great uh, it was hard work it was draining but it was very rewarding as well and um, you know just all through the Bertie years through the crash through the start of the uh, Finnegay Labour Coalition as well so that was um, a really important part of my life I really enjoyed mm-hmm. it uh, um, and I think trying to explain what's going on in Leinster House to people in, in, in a way that's uh, as I say digestible and relatable is, is a challenge um, and uh, again every day was different you never know what sort of crisis was going to happen and people who work in, in government buildings say the time when it appears to be calm is the time when actually all sorts of chaos is breaking out yes. inside government buildings behind the scenes so you always have to be on, on on the watch for that but that was um uh that was a good good chunk of my career and then um another stroke of luck uh, pat kenny went to spend time with dennis o'brien's money on the. Uh, uh, news talk and uh, there was a vacancy in prime time and much to my surprise i was offered that and did that for seven years um very different again it was like having it was like moving to a completely different job from what i've been doing as a polcar uh so i did that for seven years great memories uh, great fun great friendships made and some memorable uh some memorable nights some memorable interviews and then um, a year and a half ago, I got, got the call to move over to the 6-1. So that's that's my career. It might sound like there was a brilliant plan and master plan in place, but I can assure you there wasn't.
1: <laughs> if whiteboard at home, planning everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but just take me back to the political correspondent days. I mean, what hour days are you working there? Because, you know, you watch the news each day and they're, they're outside the building, in the freezing cold day after day. What sort of yeah, hours um, are you working uh,
0: the errors can be insane and it's actually worse since um since my time because the um the online thing has become a lot more important mm. so i would have had deadlines when there was programs like morning ireland uh one o'clock news 619 and all the rest of it but they have a deadline all the time every minute of every day uh to try and get stuff out uh before their their rivals but in my time it would have started <clears throat> if you were on a, on a big breaking story you would have been on Morning Ireland probably in the first hour or so, uh, some say quarter past seven or whatever, but in order to do it, obviously you'd have to see what was in the papers and, and check in with your sources and everything. So if you're on at a quarter past seven, you're up at six o'clock um, preparing um, and then head, head into town, head into Leinster house, probably a live on the one o'clock TV, probably something on a, a radio, audio, and then a, a, um, and then a, a live on, on the news at one as well. Grab a sandwich and then get into it, get, get pre- preparing for probably a packaging live on the six, the same on the nine. Uh, at that time, we had news today at half ten, so you could be stuck for that as well. And then back home, try and grab some sleep and, and back again the following day. So it is intense um it is very hard work but it's um you know it's rewarding as well because because uh, there's nothing like the excitement of, of of a rolling story and an important story and most of the stories you're dealing with in um in in politics i mean they affect a lot of people very directly um and and, and it's trying to make that connection for them that this is why this is important to you i mean i remember when the, the um the slow motion collapse of brian cannon's government was just the most surreal time yeah. uh, i think i've ever had in journalism. Uh, I remember one day after something in particular had gone wrong, that all the Fianna Fáil TDs were clustered around the stairs outside the chamber. And um, they were talking about how they were going to have to get rid of them in the full view of all the journalists. Normally, they do the plotting in private where we can't see them, but they were doing it in full view, and they really didn't care. It was just an incredible time. And I remember doing um, getting the scoop on Mary Harney deciding that she was going to res- resign and not, not contest the next election and, and uh, stand down as minister. And uh, got a, got an interview with her uh, on on to the nine o'clock news. Uh, thought I'd done a good day's work. Went and got the Lewis home uh, in the course of my journey from Stevens Green to um, to Sandyford. Uh, the phone started going. Uh, Battle O'Keefe had resigned. Somebody else had resigned. So I think three or four of them had resigned in the course of that Lewis journey. So I was on the phone. Uh, oh, we need you for uh, um, for the late news. So I got off the Lewis, I ran down the road to my house, I'd rung Anne-Marie and she had got the engine of the car started. I ran into the ran up to the house, ran up the driveway, jumped into the uh, car, drove into RTE, screeched to a halt, ran up the stairs, ran down the corridor, ran into the studio, sat down in the seat just as Eileen Whelan was saying. And we're joined now by our political correspondent, David McCullough. <sighs> Of course, I was completely out of breath. I could barely get it out, but I think it conveyed the uh, the excitement of the of the breaking story for the viewers. Anyway,
1: that's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And I mean, did they give you any prep? Did they tell you the details? Did you just have to learn over the phone and just go straight on to yeah, the yeah. camera? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was it was um, you know the background to it was, would have been um, all known to me, but it was just the fact that all these ministers uh, resigned, and you might remember it was part of a a plan that um, the then Taoiseach Brian Cowan had that these people, ministers that weren't going to contest the election because they could see which way the wind was blowing. He was going to ask them to resign from cabinet and then appoint new ministers. So people who were going for re-election would have the added sort of cachet of being a minister. What he hadn't taken into account was that the cachet of being a minister in his government at that particular moment wasn't much of a vote winner. So it was the first time, Pat Rabbit I think said it was the first time in history that backbench TDs were not taking calls because they were afraid of being offered jobs in government. (laughs) The second thing he hadn't taken into account was the Green Party, which had um, moral qualms about uh, appointing people as ministers for what would only be a matter of weeks. So he wasn't able to replace them as ministers with the result that there was six or seven people left in cabinet and they all had three or four jobs. So the names of their, like the minister for education skills and science and health and blah blah blah, blah whatever else it was it was just completely unreal it was just uh, an incredible time uh, and it was great to in one way it was great to have a have a have a have a, a ringside seat and see what was happening in another in another side it was kind of horrifying to see what was happening to the country but anyway it was it was what it was
1: oh and i mean how did you find the transition from being a reporter being a political correspondent to now actually presenting on prime time.
0: it was it was really difficult uh, for for a number of reasons. Number one was I was on a pretty steep learning curve to find out how you do this presenting work. Um, I mean, I presented on radio before, but TV is a completely different animal. I'd done the week in politics a couple, uh, well, a fair few times at that stage, but prime time is a, is a different beast altogether. So there was a steep learning curve. Um, I wasn't at all sure that I was the right fit for it. Um, but my bosses seemed to think I was, so that was grand. But, uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with with, um, with a lot of new uh, sort of skills you have to develop, and I had to, to try and develop them very quickly. Luckily, um, both Miriam O'Callaghan and Claire Byrne were, were really helpful to me and uh, very supportive and uh, helped to um, cover up my many mistakes, so that was great. But the other, the other thing that was difficult about it was you went from a situation where you knew what was going on because you were in Leinster House all the time and you knew the background to stuff, you knew the stuff that, all the stuff that um, can't be reported over the airwaves for one reason or another, but is, is very important to understand the motivations of why people are doing certain things. So you're right at the center of things to being a step removed and um, not knowing what was uh, all the time, what was going on or not knowing the people uh, involved to the same extent, like up to. 2013 i knew every td uh, pretty well and uh, you know had built up relationships with with people so I, if they told me something i, I could uh, i i would know how, how much weight to give it how how to assess it and that was not, suddenly no longer the case so you know the new intakes in in, in more recent general elections a lot of them i don't I, do, I don't have any personal relationship hmm. um so that was difficult uh, so it was just a change from uh, from being the person being asked well what's going on to being the person asking what's going on so i think that took me quite a while to adjust but, to. but is that um, important
1: and not to have that personal relationship when you're interviewing them on prime time where people of the public at home want to get nitty-gritty and want to get answers uh
0: it, it it's uh, it probably doesn't uh, it probably doesn't matter as much as i felt it did at the time mm-hmm. uh because if you're doing an adversarial interview, it might be helpful not to know people uh, too well. But I, th- I think a lot of the time, if if you do have, uh, if you do have a relationship that allows somebody to be comfortable with you, um, I, I, I think that can be helpful in, in in some situations. Um, but also to know, um, you know, this guy is 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 usually on the level, and I, I can tell when he's bullshitting me. Um. Uh, maybe you don't need to know somebody personally to, to, to know that. Uh, but, um, I certainly felt at the time that it helped, but it's, uh, you know, it's a different role. It's, it's a, it's a different, um, it's a different kind of job. Uh, and it, you know, it took me a while to get used to it, but I guess I'm used to it now. Is it tougher? I well, I mean, I, Given the uh the hours I just uh, I just mentioned about and, and the routine of, of a correspondent, and it's not just politics, that goes for any RT correspondent because they have so many mouths to feed on radio and TV and now particularly online, social media as well. Um I wouldn't say one is tougher than the other, but they are very different and uh
1: you know they they, they need a different approach. Yeah. Um you have interviewed many people, uh Taoiseach's- presidents even i mean what has been your most memorable interview and what what who was it Uh,
0: it was bruce springsteen i'm a huge springsteen (laughs) fan and i um i misused my my position as as a, a political correspondent to uh to secure an interview with him twice actually um once in Dublin, once in Belfast. And uh, I'd always wanted to meet him. And they always say, don't meet your heroes. Uh, but um, in this case, uh, don't meet your heroes unless it's Bruce Springsteen. So he was great. it uh, was really good. Uh, so that was like, look, look, I'm not going to lie. That was the, the best moment. Somebody said to me, that must be the best moment of your working life. And I said, my working life? <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was, it was, it was, it was great. And apart from that, um, you know, I've, I've enjoyed uh, interviewing various different um, politicians over the years, and I, I, I look forward to interviewing many more of them. But I think the more memorable interviews have been ordinary people. I don't mean politicians aren't ordinary or, or, or people. Um, but but interviewing, you know, people who just telling their stories. Um, I remember the mother of, 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 a, of a road accident victim, just heart-rending story. And another interview that really sticks in my mind is uh, Catherine Motherway, who's an emer- emergency consultant in um, in Limerick, and we had her on uh, Prime primetime Early Doors in in the in the COVID pandemic, and uh, nobody really knew at the time. Like, is this like, is this going to last? Is it going to be dangerous? Like, do we really need to worry about it or whatever? And she cut right through all of that, and she said, "This is a very serious disease. I've seen it." Seen its effect on people, you do not want to end up needing me in intensive care. You do not want to end up uh, being in hospital, being in an ICU. We need to take this seriously. And then she said, we need to treat each other as pariahs. We need to stay away from each other so that we do not pass this disease on. And it scared the bejesus out of me, (laughs) uh, uh, which is a polite way of putting it. And I think it did the same to a lot of, viewers as well who suddenly sat up took notice and said okay we need to take this seriously let's um let's do what we can to stop the spread of this disease and you know obviously there were road bumps along the way but by and large in comparison to some other countries i think we did reasonably okay
1: okay and what have you made like of the political landscape at the moment i mean Hmm? what have you made of the political landscape at the moment i mean like with all the leaks with all the leaks to the media i'm sure you must be thinking like jesus
0: it's. Uh, I think it's an interesting moment, um, you know, seeing Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael going into government together, which possibly to people of your generation doesn't seem like that big a deal because there is, in reality, very little difference between them as, as parties and there has been very little difference between them as parties o- over the decades. But for somebody of my generation, uh, it was it was just absolutely massive because there, even though the, the initial division over... The treaty over the civil war was had long since uh retreated into anonymity the main sort of um point on which irish politics turns was turned was fianna Fáil versus finnegale their very existence their very enmity became the thing that that politics revolved around so that was uh, to see them going to government was was very interesting obviously um the next election is going to be um uh, very interesting as well. Real chance for Sinn Fein to um, to lead the next government. Um, they are going to face some very difficult um, political decisions in terms of candidate selection because you'll remember in uh, twenty sixteen they made the mistake of running too many candidates and, and actually lost uh, some some seats that they should have won. In 2020 they made the mistake of running too few candidates and didn't win seats that they should have won so next time out they're going to have they're, they're going to face some really unenviable uh, decisions about how many candidates they run and, and and where they run them and so on but there is a possibility of, of of a kind of fairly fundamental shift in irish politics if they do lead the next government Um how successful they'll be at that and how successful they'll be at uh, meeting the the aspirations of of, of people who, who are supporting them uh, and, and might vote for them in the next election is going to be a very interesting question. So, uh, which which remains to be seen. But I think it's it's a very interesting uh, time in Irish politics. The current coalition um, uh, is 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 has has obviously been dominated by by COVID, by the pandemic and the reactions to it. Um, so, if COVID is on the way out, and, God, god knows we all hope it is or or at least if it becomes less of a of a daily issue i think attention is going to turn on to all the other issues that are, that are important uh, for governments to get uh get cracking on and it'll be interesting to see how um how that changes the the political debate and how it, uh, how it plays out so yeah interesting times ahead
1: and you've kind of gone through the history of politics um in your new book which is it's brilliantly illustrated um i mean to really simplify things uh doesn't go into much detail just gives it to you straight what was the thought we should, we should,
0: we should say it's a it's a children's book
1: <laughs> it is a children's book but i mean for adults can read it it, it is it is oh, that type yeah. of book um yeah, what was the time um, going to read or to write it uh
0: when i was asked to write it uh gill had this series of books um they have the Great Irish Farming book, they have the Great Irish Weather book, they have the Great Irish Science book, and they wanted to do the Great Irish Politics book. So they, they, the guy I'd been dealing with in, in Gil on, on previous projects sort of suggested it to me and he said, that'd be great, you won't have to do much work, like it'll just be, you know, you'll know it all, it'll be great, it be really easy. This wasn't strictly in accordance with the way it turned out. Um, it's a, com- like, I, 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 my previous books, sort of historical tomes, biographies, De Valera, Johnny Costello, all the rest of it, um, and long, very, very, very mm. long, as, as people tell me. Uh, so this was a different thing. It was to try, as you say, to simplify things and not go into too much detail, but without talking down or, or patronizing children to try and explain how the political system works. And it, I, I guess it, it could be of use to some adults as well. And uh, um, brilliantly illustrated by the great Graham Corcoran uh, who really sort of brought it alive. But the, the challenge is to try and explain complicated enough things in, in a way that will uh, both be understood and be appealing to a child so um that was the aim anyway uh it was interesting to do it was an interesting exercise uh but it, it it's um because a, a, a book like this it's, it's very dependent on the illustration so the text has to be pretty precisely matched to the space that's available on the page so you might need a panel of 600 words they don't want 550 they certainly don't want 650 it has to be 600 and in some cases that meant I I had a lot more than 600 words of stuff I wanted to say but I just wasn't able to do it in other cases I didn't really have 600 words to say on a particular subject but I still had to anyway so I had to find something to to uh do it and um the nice thing was to try and find sort of funny bits or interesting bits that that, that kids would sort of find intriguing to sort of put up the size of, of, of the text and uh hopefully it's readable and uh hopefully it will um you know help children to to and, and young people in general to think about things uh, like it's not trying to be prescriptive about what they should think but it's trying to sort of alert them to some of the questions that are out there about politics so hopefully it'll uh generate a bit of interest in them and um, when I've been sort of signing autographs or whatever I've, I've tried to include a little uplifting message for them remember your voice counts and it does count because even if you don't have a vote now you're going to have a vote uh, very shortly and if you're exercised about an issue politicians are, are cute enough to know that uh, you might not have a vote but your parents do your siblings might uh, friends and relatives and all that sort of stuff so you know if you see something that you you think should be changed should be different um, there's no point complaining about it and this applies with equal if not more force to uh, adults no point complaining about it try and do something about it
1: absolutely absolutely well it's in all good bookstores as they say um really good book um i'm going to finish off with a quick fire round david uh waste enough of your time already but um i guess my first question will be who is your favorite broadcaster or journalist
0: uh well i will avoid naming anybody i I work with or have worked with in the recent past because that would be unfair and whoever i say or don't say will get me in trouble so can i say can i nominate olivia o'leary uh who is a fantastic journalist um she was a brilliant presenter on primetime in its early days and and today tonight um I had an argument with a female colleague one time and she was saying, she was giving out about gender imbalance and others. And she, and she said, name one female journalist that that was an inspiration to you. And I was able to say Olivia O'Leary and that shut her up and uh, ended the debate. So that was good. But, uh, I think for, uh, coolness under pl- pressure, um, ability to write really well and passion for, um, for imparting knowledge to the public yeah olivia
1: okay what is your favorite pastime
0: uh shouting of people parked in bicycle lanes <laughs>
1: uh tea or coffee uh what type black black coffee. i don't know if i'm buying it out i have
0: a um i have a mug at home and uh at work uh mm. t- i bought two of them because they're so good which is kind of a built-in Coffee filter, so uh, proper ground coffee in in the cup, which is a filter, built in filter, and the way I go.
1: Proper hardcore stuff. <laughs> um, your what is your biggest advice to young aspiring broadcasters and journalists?
0: Uh, if you want to produce something, you have to consume a lot of it before you you do. So, if you want to write, you need to read a lot. Uh, And the same goes for broadcasting. If you want to be a broadcaster, look at what other people are doing, look at how they do it. So um, watching people or reading people uh, can give you a lot of ideas about things that you might like doing or or might not like doing. So read, watch and uh, practice. The most important thing for whether it's broadcasting or, or, or print or online, it doesn't matter. The most important thing is to be able to write well, clear, concise English. It gets across uh, your message um, and uh, is understandable. Uh, So that's it. Okay. What is your favorite TV series? Uh, At the moment, we're watching Succession and loving it.
1: Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Who is your favorite RTE colleague? I'm not going to answer that. (laughs) No comment. Oh,
0: sorry. I will will answer that. My favorite RTE colleague is my wife, Anne-Marie Smith. Oh,
1: that is a smart nobody answer. Can com- nobody can complain about <laughs> Um If you were to have any five dinner guests, dead or alive, who would they be?
0: Oh, uh, dead or alive. Uh, well, I'll assume Amory is coming. Anyway, um, I will invite Bruce Springsteen, the aforementioned. I will invite Martha Gellhorn, the greatest war correspondent of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. I will invite... Uh, Terry Pratchett, brilliant author of the Discworld novels. I will invite Hannah Sheehy Scaffington, uh, feminist, pacifist, socialist, Republican. Uh, probably wouldn't agree with a lot of what she said over dinner, but it would certainly enliven the conversation. Mm. How many is that? Four. And the fifth seat is going to go to Flan O'Brien. Brian O'Nolan, Miles Linnagopoli, whatever name he's going under uh, at that time. I may regret inviting him because he may imbibe too freely of the alcohol, But uh, I think he could be entertaining nonetheless.
1: Interesting, interesting. And last question, describe yourself in three words, if you can.
0: Uh, grumpy. <laughs> Over caffeinated misinformed.
1: Brilliant, David. David Vukola. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a million for that.